0: Hello, I'm Michael Siegel, Senior Education Specialist for Executive Education at the Federal Judicial Center. In today's episode, we'll talk with an author and executive coach who says that all leaders can learn to inspire and motivate those who work for them on a daily basis. Based on research and her extensive work as a communications expert and executive coach, our guest asserts that it doesn't take charisma to be an inspiring leader. It just takes conversations that bring out the best in others. Our host for today's episode is my colleague, Lori Murphy, Assistant Division Director for Executive Education at the Federal Judicial Center. Lori, take it away.
1: Thanks, Michael. Today we're talking with Christy Hedges, author most recently of The Inspiration Code, How the Best Leaders Can Energize People Every Day. Ms. Hedges is a leadership coach specializing in executive communications. Her clients span all sectors, including Fortune 500 and privately held companies, government agencies and nonprofit organizations. She writes for Forbes.com and Harvard Business Review and has been featured in the Financial Times, The Wall Street Journal and on CNBC, the BBC and other networks. She's also the author of an earlier book, The Power of Presence. Christy Hedges. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Lori. Very excited to be here today. I want to jump right to one of the central themes of your book, that all organizational
2: leaders can be inspirational. Why do you say that? what really is the core finding of the book. And, and so when I went into the research for The Inspiration Code, I had this idea, like many people do, that inspirational leaders are sort of larger-than-life personalities. You know, we have this image of the person who goes in and sort of shifts the energy in the room or is in a big TED Talk stage or knows just the right thing to say. The charismatic leader. Exactly, the people who are, who are sort of uh, larger-than-life in our eyes. Uh, but what I found from hundreds of interviews, um, quantitative re- research on top of it was um, that leaders who inspire us are actually doing small things. It's the small gestures, the everyday gestures uh, that have a simple connection created because of them. And that's what inspires us and in other people. And of course, we all know how to do that because we, we do it perhaps unintentionally or accidentally. Uh, throughout our lives uh, I'm sure you've had that experience where somebody comes to you and says you know hey, I had a conversation with you 10 years ago and you said this to me and I always remember that and you're racking your brain going what did I say <laughs> I don't right. remember saying that um, but it landed on somebody and really had an impact on them mm-hmm.
1: so you say connection is really important so in terms of what truly inspires most employees
2: is it connection is there something else can you tell us a little bit more about that well when it comes down to it what most inspires people is conversation So, and I'll go even further. Most people told me that they were inspired by one-on-one, rather informal conversations. So, uh, you know, we think about how we uh, practice what we want to say and we want to get our words exactly right. That's not the stuff that inspires us. And then I call them inspire path conversations because they had some particular characteristics, which I'm sure we'll talk about as we go. Um, But one of them was that they weren't, they weren't forced. They weren't Uh, said in order to influence somebody. Uh, They were offered with no strings attached. Uh, They were particular conversations that sort of created space for people to think differently about themselves and about the opportunities in front of them. Uh, and, uh, And they were conversations that tended to linger, right? They might not have, again, might not have been all that memorable to the person delivering them, but to the person receiving them, they really stuck with them talk about space, and so
1: in the book you call it an inspirational space um, and giving others the gift of attention. Mm -hmm. I wondered if you could elaborate on those concepts.
2: Well, uh, if we think about how much of our attention throughout the day is distracted attention, uh, and and then also uh, juxtapose that with when somebody gives us their full attention, how that feels to us. And you kind of get a sense for where I was going with this. Uh, When people talked about uh, people who inspired them in the conversations they had, they would say things like, they focused on me, Um, they always had time for me, they made me feel like the most important person uh, in their life at that moment. Even though I know they had a lot going on, uh, the light that they were able to shine on me in that space uh, was really received like a gift. Uh, And so, if you think about the people that you go to for advice or that you enjoy being around, um, they aren't looking at their phone the whole time or looking over your shoulder or distractedly making eye contact around the room. They're just looking at you. Uh, And so, that doesn't come naturally to a lot of people, especially in the times that we live in. Uh, And so, we have to cultivate that a little bit. Uh, And I, I often say that listening feels like care and attention feels like respect. Uh, and it's funny, when I'll put that up in a workshop, people will be busily writing it down, I think because it lands with us. Uh, so... Um, Can you say that again? Because sure. I do think our listeners
1: are going to want to hear it and, and really take it in. So listening feels Listening like care. feels like care,
2: and attention feels like respect. Okay. Uh, and, of course, the opposite is true mm-hmm. as well.
1: Okay. In your book, you, um, you talk about, really, you introduce us to a four-part code that leads to inspirational conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are be present be personal, be passionate, and be purposeful. And I think what you were just talking about is a little bit of the be present, Mm -hmm. so let's continue on there. What does it really look like to be present, and how can leaders demonstrate that beyond what you've already said?
2: Well, some of the, the findings here were uh, would go into uh, the category of uh, too simple to be true, um, but in fact, it actually doesn't take that much to be present. And again, because we don't experience it very much in the workplace, when it happens, it's sort of like the brakes go screech, you know, and all of a sudden the conversation feels different. Uh, the first thing to understand is just the impact of your focus, and we just talked about that. I, I call it often a, a red blinking light. So we think about sort of our attention is like, the especially as a leader, is like a red blinking light going through the organization. And and when we give our focus, things become more important. So just that gesture, it has weight uh, and understanding that it has weight. Uh, It can be as simple as um, finding a space to give somebody your full attention, Uh, turning off distractions uh, like your phone, uh, stepping away from email, Uh, There was a great study that came out from Virginia Tech when I was writing the book, uh, and as a Hokie, I was particularly attuned to it, uh, which said that even having a phone on the table in front of you turned off, no noise um, during a conversation, changes the conversation. And in fact, there's less empathy communicated in the conversation just because that phone is sitting there unused. Uh, And so you know, we think we're doing that, and that's a big favor to the conversation. (laughs) Uh, We need to get it off the table entirely. Uh, And so, um, and also one of the things that, uh, a piece of research that came out during uh, this phase, which I thought was really fascinating, was if we want to be more present, uh, we're more likely to do that if we just say we're going to be more present. So if I come into our conversation and say, Lori, this interview we're having today is the most important thing for the next hour for me, so let's make great use of it and be fully here, just my saying that changes how we communicate So it's like setting the intention and verbalizing it. Mm -hmm. important. It's saying a commitment out loud and psychologically we're also more likely to step into our commitments if we voice them.
1: Interesting. Another concept you write about in the book is called earned dogmatism Mm -hmm. and this is fascinating to me that as people gain more expertise they become less open-minded and less present. And as you can imagine, the federal judiciary is full of seasoned leaders with a lot of experience and a lot of expertise. So how
2: can we avoid falling prey to this? Well, so I thought a lot about this question as it relates to uh, the judiciary and and what so many people, so much important work that people here do. Uh, And I think earned dogmatism is sort of a double-edged sword because we try to get good at things. Like we, we want to develop expertise because we don't want everything to be as hard as it is the first time that we do it. Um, But the double-edged sword is that we get so good at it, we don't question the way we do things after a while. And we tend to become quite um, dogmatic, as as the term here is stated, and uh, and closed in. And so what we can do is is stay curious. I mean, that's the number one thing, is to uh, ask curious questions, and I talk about those in the book. Um, Those tend to be what and how questions that aren't fact-finding, but they're really about trying to embrace and have better understanding. Uh, And then this is something that's quite germane to the legal profession is is that we need to examine and debate alternatives, right? So go in thinking, what if I'm wrong, you know? We we go in thinking, what's the fastest way to write? Uh, And what's all my evidence? My confirmation bias comes into play, especially if we've been a leader for 25 years, you know, we think we've seen it all. Uh, But to come in and, and just ask the question, what if I'm wrong? And if that's the case, what should I be looking for just to make sure that I'm going in the right direction. So I want to shift to the second dimension,
1: which is um, be personal, Mm -hmm. closely related to that, to the notion of authentic leadership. How is authenticity, or is what you call it in the book, keeping it real, Mm -hmm. uh, essential to being personal and inspirational? Well, I look at
2: authenticity as the gateway to trust, And, and there's a lot of conversation out there about authenticity in the leadership realm, and I think we struggle with it because, uh, we're trained to not be 100% authentic as leaders. And there's a part of that that's correct, right? Sure. I mean, there's we also know people in, at work who are too authentic, uh, and it's a little bit distracting to the environment. And so there's this sweet spot of authenticity that, that we try to find, and that's why I talk about keeping it real. It's about just you know, being more of ourselves rather than less uh, as leaders, uh, but doing it in a strategic way. There's a reason, there's a purpose that we're doing it. We're trying to do it for the sake of connection, to build trust, to connect. So it might be as simple as, you know, telling a story about a time that we failed when we were in a job that one of our employees has, and even though it's a little bit embarrassing to us and we feel like we've worked really hard to get past that, by sharing that story, we're doing it in a very strategic way because we're helping that employee see that they can get past it too. So that's where I, I mean that that whole point of being real um, is really inspiring to us because we're not we're not inspired by titles or ideas of people or um, you know facades. You know, we're actually pretty good at, at sussing those out. Um, we're inspired by real humans in front of us. Sure. And it sounds like that goes into creating that space you were talking about earlier as well. It does. And, and so, uh, you know, I mentioned some quantitative research in the book. a commissioned a Harris poll study to uh, determine what inspirational characteristics were actually most important. So, once I had sort of the sample in the universe, I, I, I decided to sort of weight them and see which ones sh- uh, were um, coming up the most. And the number one inspirational quality was that someone listened to us, and the number two was that they spoke with authenticity. So I, I thought that that really kind of landed with a thud to me, because it wasn't sure. what I anticipated when I, I did the survey, uh, because I, I thought it would be more about how people say things, and we spend so much energy in saying things a certain way. Uh, I mean, just think about when we're trying to uh, motivate one of our team members, we might think, okay, you know, should I say it this way, should I say it that way, and we want to get our words just right to get the right result. Uh, and it's not that that isn't important, it's just that that's not typically what motivates us. It's more of the real, the rough stuff, uh, the from the heart stuff uh, that tends to resonate quite a bit more. Well, and you say we focus on what we're going to
1: say, but actually you describe listening, you said it, it's the number one thing that motivates mm-hmm. people, is a really important way to be personal. So how can improving
2: our listening skills really inspire those who work for us? work with us right right so um i I think we are really good diagnostic listeners at work which means and and really in life but we're talking about work here today uh, which means that we listen for the facts we listen to diagnose we listen to get to the bottom of things we listen to feed into our earned dogmatism so we can solve the problem faster Uh, and when we do that we miss a lot of information and so uh, listening differently for in an inspirational realm it does create that space. Um, it, it allows us to uh, pick up a lot more information. So if you think about a typical conversation like we're having right now, it's actually three conversations. It's what we're saying out loud and then there's an individual conversation in each of our heads. Uh, and that one is often louder than anything that's coming out of our mouths. Uh, and sometimes the only one we're paying attention to. Often the only one we're paying attention to because we want to sound smart and we want to get things right and all of that. Um, But when we listen differently, it's almost like a camera that zooms out and you see more. And so instead of listening for the facts in the matter, for example, we might listen for the whole person. Uh, Instead of listening to what we care about, we might shift to listen to what they care about. Uh, And so if we can set ourselves up to make those shifts, we just find out a lot more information. Uh, And it it allows us to be better better managers and and often just to be better people because we – Uh, take in the full person.
1: Another powerful opportunity for leaders to inspire beyond listening is recognizing employees' potential. Say more about why this matters and how we do
2: it. Mm -hmm. So I love this finding in the book and of all the things that resonated for me as I was writing it, it's probably one that I think about every single day. Um, coming out of it. Um, the, so the idea there is that when I did interviews with leaders, they, they talked over and over again about the fact that these people who inspired them had lit up a potential in them. They had seen something in them that they didn't see in themselves or maybe there's a little germ of it in themselves and they sort of put water on it and it was able to bloom or they borrowed their courage in them. Um, but they left thinking, there was, there's more that I can do, there's more that's possible for me than I thought. Um, but how people found that, how leaders called that out was in really simple ways. Uh and that was just, you know, saying, you know, I see um I see more uh leadership potential in you because you're so good at connecting with people. Or you're so good at staying calm and chaos. Um that is a really good quality for um running this large division in a few years in our organization. Or, you know, don't underestimate um the, the way that you have about interacting with people because you know, that skill is more important than um, perhaps sort of some functional expertise that uh, some of your other peers may have more experience in, because that, that quality is actually going to take you, it's going to leapfrog you ahead. You know, seeing those types of things, they were, they were pretty simple um, in terms of how they do, were delivered, and as managers, we see these things in our teams all the time. We know what people's potential is. We just might not call it out. Uh, it's, the, it's just the act of calling it out. And, and it's, this is the other piece that is a little bit important is that when we do call it out, we, we, ha- we are what I call NATO about it, um, and that's an acronym, not attached to outcome. So we're not saying it to manipulate them into taking a job that we want them to take. Um, we're just offering it. It's up to them to do what they want to with it. Uh, and so there's no strings attached, it's just offered, and, and that way of calling out potential allows the other person to really own it for themselves. <laughs>
1: Christy, we've discussed two of the four dimensions of what you call the Inspiration Code. The third dimension is to be passionate. How can leaders exhibit passion in a way that feels authentic to them? We already talked about authenticity. And, and to authentic to those who work for them, especially those who are maybe less outgoing or gregarious by nature.
2: Great, great question. So, uh, so passion came up a lot in my discussions about inspirational leaders. And I got curious about that because I thought, what does that actually mean? Uh, you know, and how do you get more passionate, right? How would you even go about that if somebody said, hey, you should be more passionate? Great. (laughs) Like, what do I do? Uh, and so I I ended up breaking that down based on the research and, and I broke passion down into three areas. Um, energy, emotion, and conviction. Okay, so passion is energy, emotion, and conviction. So now we have something to work with a little bit. Uh and it matters because I you think about passion as is, is like mood contagion, which is, is a um, well documented um phenomenon, which is that we pick up the emotion and the mood of other people in the room and, and, and that uh and we internalize that and especially leaders. I mean our um our emotion is actually the strongest one in the group. People are paying more attention to us, therefore they're more likely to pick up. Um, the emotional tailwinds that that we have. Uh, And so, you know, part of being more passionate is just recognizing that this is an important realm to play in. Uh, And what passion looks like doesn't have to be the same for each person. So your energy range might be different than my energy range in terms of what high energy or low energy looks like to each of us. Um, But we still have a range. Right? So we often think, well, I'm just kind of, I have this really narrow range. Um, you know, I'm just not somebody who gets worked up a lot. Well, you do, but it just might look a little bit, it might be more narrow. It might look a little bit different for you. But people understand that about us, right? We know people who have sort of a, um, a flatter affect, if you will, tend sure. to be more calm. Or if it's just people who are very outgoing or gregarious and, and they have sort of a wider affect. Um, and so, you know, a couple of things to think about. Um, one is um, being able to match our energy to the occasion. So thinking about where do I want this group to be? So if I want this group to be calm, um, I need to dial my dial down a little bit. I want to be a little calmer almost than they are because I'm trying to direct them and lead them. If I want this group to be excited, if I want this group to be worried, sometimes we want our people to be a little riled up and we want them to see uh, the importance of a situation, then I want my my energy to lead them in that direction. So thinking about us as having range and having a dial. And so setting it to a place that we want to, to take people to. Um, same thing with emotion. Uh, you know, we have, um, we, we process in emotional terms. We want to show more passion. We need to be comfortable in the emotional realm. Uh, and this isn't new. Aristotle had the magic triangle, which is the persuasive <laughs> triangle, rhetorical triangle, which had logos, logic, ethos, credibility, and pathos, which is emotion. And so, um, understanding that there's an emotional component uh, to uh, the communication that we have uh, and understanding what we want that to be and how to express it is a good place to start. What else do leaders need to focus on? Well, you know, another thing that that leaders can focus on there is, um, you know, having, uh, you know, showing conviction. And so that's the other piece of of this, uh, you know, and Conviction often just shows up in our bodies. There's kind of no other way to put it. It's, a little, it's, it's Part of it is body language. Part of it is sort of understanding that, you know, understanding how we want to come across and making sure we're in alignment with that. And, and so the example I'll give there is that if, if there's an organization going through a change initiative and the leader's communicating that change, we want to see them talk about it. We want to see them. And, and so an email, it's not going to do it, right? We prefer to see them in front of us. What's the reason for that? It's because we're reading them. We're reading them to see how much they care, do they believe this, are they nervous, are they excited? Um, We're picking that up, right? So that's the idea behind conviction. And so, uh, you know, part of a a leader's job, again, knowing the emotion we're trying to put in the room uh, and then trying to align ourselves as we speak with that emotion is critical because otherwise we get a lot of cognitive dissonance. So we might be saying, hey, this change isn't gonna be a big deal, but if we're looking really squirmy up there and we're looking nervous, Uh, people aren't so sure that's the case. Sure. Well, what you're really talking about are nonverbals
1: and how important nonverbal signals are to communicating. So many of us, though, aren't great necessarily at either Mm -hmm. reading nonverbals or more likely knowing that we're putting those out there. Mm -hmm. Um, So how can we get better at at knowing what our nonverbals are and interpreting others' nonverbals? Can you just
2: speak more about that? So for us to work on our body language... Um, There is clear research on a couple of things, and the acronym I use is OUT, which stands for open, up, and toward. Uh, And that is, in general, it's better to be open because that allows people to want to hear what we have to say. Again, we can close our arms for a second. We're reading in clusters, so it's not a huge deal, but just kind of being open generally makes people more open to us. Posture There's a lot of research on posture that we want to be up because when we're up that it, it, there's an embodied cognition which is a loop going on essentially in our bodies which uh, makes us feel more confident and other people more confident listening to us. Uh, and then toward which is we generally want to be toward people versus away from people. Uh, and that's pretty much all you need to work on with your own body language. Uh, and so you don't need a 10-point plan. You don't need to worry about every single thing. Um, but it is Im- important to be observant about it and then make sure that that's in alignment again with how we're trying to show up. So let's turn to
1: the final dimension of the inspiration code, be purposeful. How can we lead with purpose and help others find purpose in their work? You talked a little bit about this mm-hmm. earlier, but I'd like you to
2: expand a bit if you would. Sure. Uh, so, you know, again, with a lot of this book, it's about bringing the ideas smaller, right? So we don't, we don't have to have some grand life purpose that's extremely clear to us that we communicate to everybody around us. Um, but we can actually help people tie into more purpose in their work and more meaning in their work in smaller but incredibly impactful ways. Uh, and so again, in the research, people told me, uh, you know, I, this person was such a role model to me. I watched how they sort of lived their lives. I watched what their values were. They were their values on the outside. They talked about their values. They talked about the importance of what they were doing and why it was meaningful to them. And by the stories they told and by showcasing that, it helped me tap into what was purposeful for me. Um, Or they ask me questions. There's a series of questions that that I use in the book that people often will use in one-to-ones or in development conversations with people um, that help them kind of get in touch with that idea about the meaning behind their work. Uh, And so just being willing to engage in the conversation is a very powerful thing. So if court leaders want to inspire those who work for them, Christy,
1: what would you say are the top three things you recommend that they do?
2: So, you know... First of all, I'll say, you should do whatever resonates for you because I am a big believer in uh, you can do a couple of these things and it makes an impact uh, and so you don't have to do everything and I think there's some, uh, there's some real usefulness in doing things that you're excited to do. So if something, you read the book or you hear some of this podcast and you say, you know what, I'm going to do more of that, great, go do more of that. Uh, if I were to say in the abstract, the things that I think have the most impact. Uh, right off the bat. uh, The first one is to be present in the moment, right? Just noticing the level of distraction that you bring into conversations and minimizing that. Uh, It's better to have a 15-minute conversation that's uninterrupted, that's focused, Uh, where you can really be there than an hour conversation where you're distracted and taking emails and people are popping in your office so you know instead of feeling like a lot of people cancel one-to-ones I hear that a lot you know oh they had it and then it went off the schedule they had it and went off the schedule my advice would be have a shorter meeting but have a real meeting be present in that moment um, because that's where inspiration is likely to happen the second thing would be to to really listen with intent so shift your listening. And the easiest way to do that is just to get and stay curious. So to have that little voice in the back of your mind saying, um, what else? Right? What if I'm wrong? What else should I know? Um, what's going on with this person? And to ask those questions, it tends to change the conversation and change the dynamic and sort of lay those little breadcrumbs for people to walk away feeling better or more than or I'm um, feeling that dose of inspiration. And that goes to, really, we're talking about the nonverbals. When you're in a face-to-face conversation and
1: you're picking up some of those mm-hmm. nonverbals, just acknowledging or maybe asking a question about what you're seeing.
2: Absolutely. That's the easiest thing to do. I, I always tell people, just like, sort of just say what you notice. Again, without any strings attached. I noticed when I said that that you smiled. Mm-hmm. You know, what excited you about that? A couple simple mm-hmm. questions, just noticing and asking a question underneath of it. Uh, this is a great point and and the third one is something we've talked about quite a bit today Which is just calling out potential and doing it generously. So you already see it. Just say it uh, Sometimes I hear people say well, I feel like if I do that too much it won't be meaningful anymore I've just not seen that happen if we call out potential honestly if we call it out with no strings attached uh, people generally uh, feel good about that and, and so um You know, that's something, again, we can all do. It takes a minute at most. It doesn't really take any preparation. We're just calling out what we see. Uh, And of course, back to where we started, anybody can do that.
1: So anybody can do it, but it is hard to be present, personal, passionate, or purposeful when you're feeling burned out or overwhelmed. You even discuss a personal example of this Mm -hmm. in, in your book. And so what are your tips for leaders who want to be inspirational but might be in a state of overwhelm or on the verge of burnout?
2: Well, I'm going to answer that in two ways. Um, The first one is uh, the the short answer, which is I I, I said earlier, which is you don't have to do everything. Right. Um, I love the phrase, do the next right thing. So if there are things that you feel like you could do or should do or have read the book and resonate or, or, or you know, just thinking about that day, just do the next right thing. So if it's having the 15-minute one-to-one um, because you don't have an hour but having it really be impactful, then do that. If it's calling out something you see, then do that. If it's listening in a different way, then do that. If it's turning off your phone and putting it away and trying to have... Um, the best conversation you have, then do that. So just do the next right thing. Don't try to boil the ocean. I think sometimes things look too hard, and so we don't do anything. We kind of have a shutdown reflex. Um, The second thing I would say for people who are feeling burned out, uh, and I'm embarrassed to say this did not come to me until I was like three-quarters of the way at least through the book, uh, which is that these same behaviors that inspire other people also inspire us. So the other way to think about this is looking at this for yourself and saying, uh, you know, if, if I'm not being present in conversations, I'm probably not going to be very inspired. Uh, if I don't have role models around me showing purpose, then maybe I need to get myself around some new people who help lift me up. If I don't have people in my life that I speak to regularly that help me see my potential, um, maybe I need to reconnect with some folks that I've kind of I've let slip, right? Uh, and so, you know, we also have to inspire ourselves uh, to be able to go into the world and inspire other people the concept of putting your oxygen mask on first, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, even things like, uh, um, which, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, the idea of purpose, uh, you know, doing a little bit of your own assessment on purpose. Am I really stepping into uh, my own purpose? Am I reconnecting with what's meaningful um, for me right now? And just taking some of that reflection time to do that um, can help us. Again, we feel it more and then we role model it for other people. So, Christy, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience today? Well, you know, you know, people will often say, ask me, you know, well, you know, how has writing this book about inspiration sort of impacted your life? Uh, and you know, it has impacted pretty much everything. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I talked about some things that are, are top of mind for me the most, but um, certainly, I listen differently. Uh, and I think about present, being present very differently. I think about my energy very differently. I think about purpose differently and potential. Um, but what I love about all of this is that it, the same stuff that works for us, uh, in our, um, work life, it works for us at home. Um, I use this stuff with my kids frequently, uh, and uh, my friends. I think about how I listen to them differently. I think about, Uh, You know, if, you know, if I notice purpose uh, or or potential in somebody, I'm just generous to to say it because why not? Uh, And so it's it's those kinds of things. I think we can think even more broadly uh, about um, how we show up in this inspirational way because it's it's actually a way of being in the world. Uh, And if you feel like, wow, I I wish I had more people around me like this, uh, then you can be the person. You know, you can be the one that's around other people that inspires them.
1: Well, it's almost like exercising that muscle on a regular basis will allow you to use it where it's just second nature.
2: And it's, it's a virtuous cycle, right? right? We, we say these things and, and they come back to us uh, many times over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, back to, you know, you know, anybody can be inspirational to anyone. I think the other thing that we should sort of break out of the mold of is who's inspirational to whom. Uh, we often think that it's, you need to be a, a senior leader, being inspirational to a young mentor. And work, You know, generations have so much to teach each other. Uh, and I hear in private conversations and coaching a lot um, how important it is for people who've been in the workplace who might be wondering, am I doing a good job with this next generation? Am I, am I coaching them well? Am I managing them well? Um, to also have them feel like, you know, for the people who are mid-level in their career or even just getting started, that it's also okay um, to consider yourself capable of inspiring people who are more senior than you. Uh, and, in fact, it's just it's a human condition. You know, what makes us feel more than um, does, isn't really restricted to the age that we are or the position that we hold. Christy, this has been fascinating
1: and fun, and I uh, really appreciate you sharing your research and your insights
2: with us today. Thank you so much, Lori. So appreciate you having me.
0: Thanks, Lori, and thanks to our listening audience as well. If you're interested in learning more about Christy Hedges and her book, The Inspiration Code, How the Best Leaders Energize People Every Day, visit the Executive Education page on fjc.dcn. Produced by Jennifer Richter and directed by Craig Bowden. I'm Michael Siegel. Thanks for listening. Until next time.